This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put an inch on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Oh, hey! Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know, they're both good. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you'd never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country, and I pay respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up a couch. It's the Lavia Lounge. Hello, my dear ones. I am coming at you from the Labia Lounge today with a really beautiful guest, the delightful and delectable Vaughn, um, the brains behind Yoni Co. Although, m- mind you, little inside scoop, I hear there's maybe a rebrand in the process and Vaughn might be going by her actual name in the near future. But for now, Vaughn is uh, yeah, the face behind Yoni Co and she is your ultimate Yoni lover. She's a Melbourne-based qualified naturopath who specializes in women's maternal and reproductive health, as well as a full-spectrum doula who supports birthing people through pregnancy, the postpartum, and all reproductive choices and outcomes. Vaughn is also, oh my God, what an overachiever. You're already a naturopath and a fucking doula. Here we go. So she's also one half of Mama Goodness who feed Melbourne mamas and families with organic plant-powered meals and create beautiful botanical products to support all stages of motherhood. And we'll definitely go into that because I just adore Mama Goodness as a business and a concept. And Vaughn has a fiery passion for supporting and educating women about their own health and bodily autonomy. She's currently writing her first book, ooh, exciting, with her business partner, Jess Prescott. And that book has a fabulous name. I'm so into this. It's going to be called Life After Birth. So welcome, Vaughn. Thank you, Freya, my love. <laughs> Thanks for the introduction. Very, very oh. juicy. <laughs> well, your career is juicy, bitch, because like you have so many strings to your bow or so many feathers to your cap or whatever expression you want to use there. But I I adore those those like c- the combo of those things because I've 
not only looked into being a doula, but I was hell bent on becoming a naturopath back in the day as well. Neither of which I actually managed to follow through on. I lived in a tiny country town and sort of took a different path for a while there because there just weren't really those options available. But um, yeah, I'm so curious about like how how your work overlaps because they're such complementary areas, I think. And like, you know, did you become a doula first or did you become a naturopath first and then get more into like women's health and want to be a doula? Like tell me a bit about your journey. Yeah, totally. So it's been a long and winding road. Um, <laughs> my parents <laughs> and a lot of people, yeah, yeah, a, a lot of people and I, you know, I own it. I studied for most of my 20s and I kind of, mm. it's funny that, you know, I feel like I can say now and it's really, you know, I feel humbled when people are like, wow, you do have so many feathers in your cap, but I spent so many years actually being like, where the hell am I going <laughs> with all of this, with all of my passions? Um, but, yeah, I I originally studied journalism, so I did that and hated it. And then while I was doing that, Um, it actually started a bit earlier. I grew up on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, which is, you know, just this really beautiful, holistic environment. Um, I grew up in the hills of the hinterland. And so I always sort of had naturopathic, um, holistic and alternative forms of, you know, care models and healing and practitioners around me. Um, my family wasn't necessarily that way inclined, but I had a really deep pull and affiliation towards it. So I dabbled when I finished school with maybe doing nutrition, but kind of went the easy road and wanted to party hard through uni and stuff. So I put that on the back burner um, and did that very, very hard and fast, which was great fun. But I, um, yeah, along the way, I sort of had a few innings with more Western forms of medicine where, um, you know, I just didn't get the answers that I needed and I didn't feel like I was getting the care I was provided. Like one example, pretty hilarious and disgusting, but I um, got scabies before I went to travel through Europe and (laughs) a a group of us were partying and we shared scabies, which is utterly horrifying. Um, I've had it. I've had it. Oh, Oh, it's bloody Thailand. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything to do with, like, bunk beds and dormitories and just yep. hostels. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was my youth. Um, but I honestly was in so much discomfort and pain. Like, I didn't know what was happening. I was traveling for a few months. I um, was just itching and, like, I actually feel like I had some form of depression from it. But multiple doctors I went to, while I was over there and when I came back, we're just like, I don't know, maybe you're like stressed from, you know, being separated from your family. Like, let's just put you on steroids. We'll do this, do that. And I finally got home and saw this doctor and they were just like, what the hell? Like you can literally see in between your fingers, like the tracks where they are. Um, oh. And it just, yeah, it's several innings like that and others with, you know, just reproductive health and feeling, um, a little bit disheartened by the care I was receiving. I just kind of combined my passion and love um, of working at a organic health food store with obviously my own experience. And so I just dived into naturopathy um, knowing that I had quite a few years ahead of me and 
I'd quit science when I was in like year 10. So it was a bit of a struggle setting myself up and getting my head back in the game. Um, but I started, yeah, naturopathy when I was, how old was I? I was about 23. Um, mm. So, yeah, that was incredible. And I started it in Brisbane, up there at Endeavour College. And then when I moved down to Melbourne, I transferred to there. And then I ended up um, skipping over to the Southern School of Natural Therapies in Fitzroy, which was just the best move I've ever made. And yeah, had an incredible time there, met some amazing fellow naturopath friends and had amazing teachers and supervisors who I'm still, you know, close with. Um, But the doula work came into play. I was in early stages, probably my second year of naturopathy. Um, And I was just really struggling big time with the science side of things. I was kind of tapping out mentally a bit and cue at that time I had actually had an abortion um, Mm. several months before I sort of toyed with the idea. But, you know, I I had people around me who had gone through that experience and then I went through it myself and I actually had quite a bad experience in the lead up to um, having the abortion. Like my GP who told me I was pregnant completely misread the room and myself and was like, congratulations, you know, we'll book you in, like here's your elevator. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, young, not there with a partner who I'd just broken up with. Um, and the whole, like I had my beautiful best friend who was with me through the whole experience and, you know, it was just being in a situation like that and knowing other people who were going through reproductive losses whether or not that was you know me myself and others who have had an abortion some some people and family friends that I knew who had um you know experienced a miscarriage my brother had had his first baby and that was just so exciting and I was just like all of a sudden thrust into I guess growing up myself and learning how to deal with my own you know reproductive choices but also just having so much love for people around me that were having children and babies. And I've always loved that side of, you know, life, Um, beautiful Mm. reproductive health and periods and things. But I really just started to have this passion for ensuring that no matter what stage a person was going through on their reproductive journey, that they felt heard and held and they had someone there that could walk with them on the journey, um, you know, and make them feel supported and empowered and I sort of started delving into it I'd heard the word doula and I was more so looking for you know supporting people through loss and things like that but I ended up yeah when I moved to Melbourne um was hating science I actually was living with my best friend who had been with me through the whole experience and she found out she was pregnant with her boyfriend so I just signed up that same week (laughs) for a course um (laughs) Which is amazing. So that was 2016, um, the beginning of 2016. And I lived, I was so lucky. I was able to live with Amy through her whole pregnancy pretty much up until she gave birth. Um, And then I was there with her at her birth. So that was sort of, yeah, for for someone who hasn't given birth themselves. Mm. Yeah, a a lot of people come to us because they are a mother and they either, you know, have had an experience where they feel like they needed more support and guidance or, you know, they're just so interested Mm. in um, empowering other women to 
have an experience that you know is great for them um Mm. yeah it was it was just a really interesting time in life and through completing Um, that and continuing to study naturopathy um they just sort of wove in with one another I didn't quite mm. realize at first but the more I um worked as a doula and gained some incredible clients that I supported I sort of became more confident with my naturopathic knowledge and started implementing that in with my support and it voila here I am (laughs) Oh my God, fab. My dream, dream birth support person would be a doula who is also a naturopath. Like, come on, that's just covering so many bases. <laughs> and so cool that you got I to know. like experience that pregnancy with your friend and housemate, Amy, and basically like implement and put in to practice all the stuff that you were learning throughout the doula training. And she got basically a free doula and that's such a great sitch. <laughs> Yeah, it was beautiful. And I think, you know, her first, her, her bub, who's now, you know, five, nearly six, um, she was born with quite complex health concerns. And mm-hmm. it was just fascinating being thrust into that situation. Like my first birth, so many people were in the room, you know, it was known that she would be, um, you know, born with health complications. But yeah, it was just interesting having not given birth and not having my own experience. That obviously happened for my first birth and my second mama that I supported was a Ethiopian refugee. Um, mm. And that was fascinating, just, you know, going with her through the system and seeing it and experiencing it and having conversations with her through her own lens of feeling mm. so out of touch with the Australian healthcare system and, yeah, I feel really blessed that I learned, you know, so much so quickly from those particular yeah. situations. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine someone from Ethiopia being a lot more in touch with more sort of like primal, natural protocols when it comes to birth and like there's just so much more trust in the body um, rather than like, you know, the Western medical model and hospital births and things can be quite, quite disconnecting and disempowering. Um, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. wondering, oh, sorry. I think there's, there's always a bit of a delay. My internet's rubbish. Just apologies to listeners. It sounds like I'm constantly cutting off my guests, but that's not my fault. Um, I'm wondering like, what are the most common things that women come to you for, you know, wanting to work on? And do you offer um, like doula work in combination with, does it just sort of, I mean, they just weave in naturally or yeah. What are, what are some of the main things that you work with women on these days? Yeah, absolutely. So I do have um, A lot of people do come to me, obviously, for naturopathic support specifically. Quite a few mums do hire me um, and ask me to be their doula because I am a naturopath and I guess they are holistically minded and they love the fact that I can support them with the nutrition side of things and beautiful gentle herbal support and postpartum Mm. care and all of those sort of things um, and supplements, etc. But in naturopathy, it's... um, it's really obviously steered and I guess I put myself out there in such a way that it's definitely around reproductive health um, mm. and specifically pregnancy wellness, postpartum repletion, um, a lot of, and I'm seeing more of sort of preconception and transitioning off 
hormonal birth control if that has been mm. something that I can support them with and otherwise potentially if they've come off it themselves in recent times or months or years, um, just really looking at, you know, their current health state, what could have potentially been depleted through taking that and not necessarily looking after their health completely. So, yeah, that side of things and I'm seeing more and more women and couples uh, who are requiring support with IVF, um, mm. which is fascinating. I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm definitely by no means a pro in that um, aspect of health, but it's, yeah, naturopathy is beautifully complementary for it. And um, mm. or as always, I guess through my own experience, uh, pregnancy loss has actually been showing up for me a lot more recently, um, not just early sort of miscarriage loss, but further into sort of the second trimester mm. too, which is, you know, absolutely devastating, but something that I feel really honoured to hold that space for because it's so huge. Yeah. yeah, wow. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, there was a, a term you used in there that I didn't, I haven't heard of, and there's also like a couple of things you mentioned in our like preliminary chats about what we do an episode about um, that I'm really curious about. So I'm I'm wondering like, you know, what are some of the things that we just don't get told or taught about pregnancy? Like whether it's, I mean, you you mentioned um, postpartum. Pre- I already I've already forgotten what you said. Repletion. Uh, yeah, repletion. And like, what the fuck is lightning crutch? <laughs> you know <laughs> ouch yep um so lightning crutch I'll I'll tell you about that before the post postpartum yeah. inflation we'll go in chronological order um lightning crutch yeah that's pretty it's pretty common with some mamas I've supported and it's it honestly sounds so uncomfortable but you know on top of all the other things that they get like pelvic girdle pain and backs going out and vulval variscosities um lightning crutch yeah it's generally felt as a really sharp jumpy painful nervy sensation um by women generally in their final trimester um and that's Mm. normally due to the bub shifting position into the birth canal and that places pressure on their pelvis and that sometimes touches sort of nerves and causes that zap in the old cha-cha region (laughs) cha-cha i haven't heard that was so long okay all right cool that sounds pretty pretty shit um what are all of those other things you mentioned i don't want to like focus too much on all the negative stuff that can or the challenging stuff that can happen during pregnancy but i do i do want to hear about this stuff because no one talks about it yeah absolutely and it is i guess that's something that with being a doula or, you know, the book we're writing and things like that, there's just so much that women aren't told and it's like taboo, but there's so many women that become mothers and it's this beautiful, incredible, sleepless club you become a part of, but so much information (laughs) is left out. Um, But one of them, yes, so vulval variscosities, that is um, obviously veins in your vulval region um the generally it's the blood flow and um fluid you know retention and increasing throughout pregnancy it generally happens in your second and third trimester but the pressure that that um places 
on the veins around your vulva um, causes them to bulge and they can be mm-hmm. quite sensitive and painful, um, which is, mm. yeah, I've had a few mums of mine and, yeah, there's there's differing things that you can do but I think there's just so many discomforts that people experience during pregnancy that sometimes can't be helped, you know, even the fittest yeah. of mums that I've supported have experienced, you know, women who are typically, and I'm only saying this because I think, you know, general society paints pictures of people that get gestational diabetes as being overweight and things like that, but it's absolutely no means. There's so many, you know, genetic factors and lifestyle mm-hmm. factors that can cause the, sometimes it's just bad luck or, you know, yeah, there's there's so many reasons yeah. as to why this can happen, but there are also equally so many ways that you can support um, vulval varicosities or, you know, lightning crutch. I guess there's a lot of the beautiful manual therapies that you can have, like osteo and chiro. Um, yeah, mm, those sort of things mm. can be really helpful. Um, yeah, yeah. But one thing I love you asked about was postpartum repletion. Mm. Um, and that is, I guess it's the opposite of or the wanting to fix depletion. So, so many mums, I guess, go through, it, it kind of starts in preconception and before that, I guess, um, and it's where women sort of enter pregnancy potentially in a deplete state, um, if maybe not so that, and they were healthy beforehand due to um, having pregnancy nausea and vomiting. They may lose sort of a lot of their essential, you know, nutrients and vitamin, vitamins and minerals through that Um Pregnancy in general is essentially a baby sucking <laughs> and sapping <laughs> your essential, you know, stores Quite themselves as they grow. Uh, absolutely, yep. Sucking you dry. So, um, <laughs> you know, ensuring that you are on top of a lot of those essential building blocks of health is really important. But, you know, for varying reasons, whether or not it's a, you know, not having the support they require or they haven't quite been at uh, optimal health state, a lot of women enter motherhood and are in that depleted state, you know, and then they go into breastfeeding if they're choosing to breastfeed and that, again, is, you know, a constant giving of your own resources to mm. your baby um, and add on top of that sleepless nights and, you know, just being awake at all hours of the day and night and, um, this is the general stress that I guess becoming a new parent places on you, whether or not you're feeling stressed, I guess there's a lot of hormonal fluctuations going on and blood sugar dysregulations and just, yeah, getting to a point where you're feeling pretty shit. And that's where I see a lot of mums where they're like, okay, I'm feeling incredibly zapped and exhausted maybe having digestive issues and that's where we really go for a deep dive and look at, um, yeah, where their body's currently at, looking at pathology and um, getting results from their bloods, looking at their diet and their intake and nutrition, their lifestyle and, you know, what support they've got around them and just putting it all together and coming up with a really good plan to sort of get them out of that funk and feeling really healthy and well again. Mm-hmm. So postpartum repletion is like replenishing all of the nutrients and the resources that they need after it's all been kind of sucked dry? Totally. In a nutshell, yes. 
<laughs> okay. 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 Cool. Amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's something that maybe people wouldn't even realize they needed to do is like focus on replenishing their stores and like ramping up their nutrition um, of like vitamins and minerals and, you know, all of the macros or whatever, but also like ways that you can supplement that herbally, which is, I suppose, where you come in. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm keen to know like what, what are some of the things that, yeah, that we don't know that we really should be doing. Like, let's let's start with preconception, for instance, because we'll we'll cover preconception and then mid, you know, like during pregnancy, and then I want to talk about postpartum as well. But if we just start, you know, doing it in chronological order, what are some of the things like people could be doing nutritionally or with herbs to prepare for pregnancy, and you know, like be well prepared, but then also to enhance their chances of getting pregnant, you know, like fertility boosters and stuff. Totally. Yeah. And there's, there's so many things people can do. And I think it's, you know, people are becoming more and more aware of it nowadays. I guess there's been a whole shift, you know, even just ads and things like don't drink, obviously. I, I heard an ad the other day, actually, about even if you're trying to conceive, don't drink. And I was like, wow, that's a really big shift um, in the general, you know, mainstream health world to be saying that. Mm. But um, I guess the knowledge that I normally try to tell people when they come to me uh, for preconception support and they're like, I want to be pregnant yesterday. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) that's great. But um, where are you at with your health currently? And, you know, absolutely, if you want to, be trying to make a baby right now that's totally up to you you know I'm I'm never going to tell someone not to do something I'm here to support them um on their journey and guide them the best way I can but the knowledge that it generally takes about 90 days for a woman's eggs and you know to prepare to prepare and be ready for ovulation and the same for um a partner's sperm to sort of reach their maturity so that really gives us three months you know 90 days to be working on the health of each of those people which can have a major impact on their baby's Mm -hmm. health um and implantation and all of those sort of things so that's generally a ballpark i recommend for people like longer is obviously highly advantageous um but two to three months gives us a really good chance to look at you know, where they currently are and build upon that. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I guess the first thing I do is do a pretty big deep dive into investigating where their current health is. Are they coming off a form of birth control? Are we dealing with, you know, other reproductive issues like irregular periods or PCOS, endo, you know, hormonal imbalances that can throw the rhythm of their cycle out and chances of ovulation and therefore conception. Um, And that to me, I guess, is probably the most important phase to work with women. Um, And I see a lot of my clients through this and then through their pregnancy and into their postpartum. So, yeah. I like being their little Mm. health doula. (laughs) Yeah. Makes me really happy. But um, yeah, yeah, taking totally. a really hard history, um, and I guess understanding, you know, also their family history of experiencing pregnancy or birth, um, loss, their own periods and sexual health, their emotional health, trauma, like all those things that make a person who they are and constitute their current health. Um, 
And then, of course, you know, diet, what they're putting in their body, how often they're eating, what they're eating, and, you know, different environmental toxins potentially that might be around them that could impact that. Mm, Yeah, there's just so much, isn't there? There's so many factors to take into account. Um, And, it, yeah, it is so unfair that some people don't seem to pay attention to any of that and um, don't particularly lead a very healthy life and can just get pregnant super easily and then other people might be doing all the right things and it's still, you know, trickier for them. Um, But it it is cool to sort of start looking into the things that you can do, like simple stuff like foods that you can eat more of or things you can do less of, like drinking um, or smoking or like eating certain foods. And I guess like, you know, stuff you can do hormone, like to to sort of balance your hormones so that you're definitely ovulating and you've got a really good healthy cycle and things like that. So do you have any really practical go-tos? Like obviously everyone's different and you've got to kind of figure out where they're at to give them a tailored plan to meet them where they're at but are there some really common ones that pretty much always come up like you know you always hear like folic acid folic acid or folate or whatever are there some common ones that generally are going to be helpful for everyone yeah there is and I guess there's you know there's ways that you can bring things in with your diet and lifestyle which I'll definitely sort of mention but I always just love to get anyone I'm working with in preconception to do a pretty thorough pathology test and just looking at their bloods for really important factors that you know can influence and make up what a person generally needs to actually create a baby and that's going to influence the health of their eggs or their sperm Mm. um you know their blood glucose and insulin and sort of their hormonal health and production how their liver's detoxifying what their thyroid health is um, you know, iron and B12 and those essential building blocks for actually creating the cells of a, a baby um, as well as maintaining, you know, that's equally as important for a woman's, um, you know, health within her cervix and obviously maintaining um, an egg if it is obviously fertilised and adhering to the, you know, wall, um, placenta production and all of those things. There's also... Um, obviously folate yeah exactly as you mentioned um which is really important um for you know obviously reducing the risk of neural tube defects um for the body being able to metabolize b vitamins and folate specifically but there's also homocysteine um which is something that can be tested and i really like to investigate which is a type of amino acid um which is naturally found in the body but um, when that's found elevated in blood tests, it can be associated with miscarriage um, and can sometimes give an insight to genetic predispositions or factors which, you know, sometimes up to 30% of the population can have, but they may not actually be able to process folate, which is really mm. important for then you know, conceiving a baby. So there's, there's quite a few cogs in the wheel that um, I like to look for in preconception and it's funny <laughs> as a naturopath, um, a few of us have spoken about it sometimes and a lot of GPs are really incredibly receptive and I'm all about, you know, shared care and, um, ensuring, you know, to ensure that our clients are getting the best care, but a few doctors along the way have sort of said, ah, oh, did a naturopath give you this list of tests? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't give a damn. I just want to kind of investigate 
to the, you know, the greatest depth that I can for my clients. And sometimes, you know, they can get it covered by Medicare. Other times I'll, you know, refer them to have private testing, which is out of pocket, but whatever, you know, one of my clients wants to do and however far they want to take it just to make sure that, you know, they are setting themselves up incredibly from the beginning. Um, we'll look into that, Mm. but, um, yeah, there's absolutely, there's, you know, nutrient and nutritional building blocks like iron and B12, um, folate, obviously, which is a B vitamin, um, B6 is another really important one. And all of those are important for developing Bub's nervous system, um, a neural tube and reducing spina bifida. You've got, um, your DHA and omega threes, um, which are really beautiful, you know, generally sourced from wild caught fish or seeds and nuts. These can really help with, um, cell main membrane fluidity and energy production within the egg. Um, so sort of through the cycles that we're working through in preconception, um, and also with sperm, you know, production and health, it's ensuring that those are pumped up in the diet um, lots of antioxidants to protect sperm and eggs from damage. So including lots of beautiful, colourful, pigmented fruits and vegetables, dark leafy greens, um, just like pairing it back, but, you know, still being really specific and just ensuring that food where people can afford, obviously, is, you know, some things are like dairy and meat. I will always try and recommend to eat organic where they can because it's not going to have you know, antibiotics and hormones included in it, which a lot of um, conventional meat and dairy Mm. has. Um, But just, you know, like we were talking about before, you've been doing a lot of growing of your own veggies and things, and not everyone can do that. But if you can't, maybe just going on the weekend to get things from the farmer's market or looking up, you know, the Dirty Dozen, um, which is generally, yeah, put out every year to let you know what fruits and vegetables might have, you know, the highest rate of pesticides and just toxins which can definitely, you know, get into the body and affect fertility outcomes. Mm, totally. I used to have a little um, screenshot of the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15 on my phone and I would whip it out when I was doing my grocery shopping. So, yeah, resources like that are really helpful um, especially if you can't grow things yourself or you don't have access um, to like organic. I mean, it's fucking expensive as well. You know, you just got to, I would like, I would splurge on organic things that um, were in the dirty dozen, but then the clean 15, I'd be like, oh, well, fuck it. I'm, <laughs> you know. Totally. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you've just got to, you have to do what you can with your resources. And, you know, there's other ways you can too. Like if you do, buy your fruit and veg from the supermarket, like mix and match. And by no means, like, you know, do I think everyone should or can do that, but you can rinse them with, you know, apple cider vinegar in the sink and just soak them for a bit to get rid of some of the, you know, residues and stuff that can be on them. There's, you know, if you do look into how to, you know, choose the best fruit and veg and meats and dairy for yourself, there's so much information out there. Um, Um, I'm just, you know, I'm blessed because I have Terra Madre down the road. <laughs> oh my God, totally. I miss Terra Madre so much. It's one of the worst things about moving away from Melbourne. My wholesale discount at Terra Madre. Um, so what about, what about, cause you know, 
like we've talked about a bit about foods and stuff, but as a naturopath, you work a lot with herbs. Is there a product or a tincture or like a herbal medicinal thing that you recommend women take when they're preparing for conception? Or do you sort of make that up depending on the client? Um, or is there just something yeah. off the shelf that you recommend? Um, look, there's definitely herbs are so individualized and it's something I think a lot of us herbalists and naturopaths are quite protective of is that just as much as, you know, pharmaceutical drugs, you don't just take them willy nilly. Herbs are so potent and powerful in what they can do. And, you know, that's not to be scared of them, but they can be used for very specific health concerns or imbalances. So, there's absolutely, there's some like amazing, pretty well-known herbs like Vitex or Chase Tree, which you've probably heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, incredible for, you know, cases where people might have lower estrogen or progesterone. Um, but if they are, you know, if they have endometriosis or have excessive estrogen, like I just wouldn't even go there. Um, whereas people who are going through IVF and maybe need, um, some support in that way. Yes, I would recommend it. So it's, it's a herbs are something that I wouldn't just go and take off the shelf and buy, but, um, you know, there's no one size fits all. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you don't have any, um, hormonal concerns or health issues per se, but you just want to really get yourself into an optimal state, um, you know, there's some incredible, brands and companies out there who do, you know, combinations of um, withania or ashwagandha, which is just a really beautiful um, adrenal sort of nourishing herb. It supports immunity. You can mix that with some of your mushrooms and stuff like that. So I think for people that are just generally wanting to look after themselves, there are some incredibly Mm. nourishing herbs like that that are pretty, you know, chamomile and lemon balm and nettle and they're just like full of nutrients and minerals and vitamins and I definitely recommend making a you know herbal infusion and tea or something um but always yeah I would recommend going to speak to a naturopath at a health food store or booking an appointment just so that you can really specifically pinpoint it especially if you do think that you may have some hormonal concerns because it can Mm. it can really work against you if you're using the wrong herb for the wrong you know or it can just push out your experience and what's the point in spending all this money on all these you know Mm -hmm. supplements which you see and hear a lot of people doing they're just spending all this money when it's actually not even fixing the problem yeah it's (laughs) not pinpointed enough yeah okay all right so message received no one size fits all um go get some professional help (laughs) otherwise yeah just do the things that are kind of common knowledge no-brainer this is a healthy diet this is a you know um cool before we launch into pregnancy full full full-fledged pregnancy and postpartum i want to just slot in the segment get pregnant and die don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die don't have sex missionary position don't have don't have sex standing up just don't do it promise Um, so do you have a get pregnant and die story for us, Vaughn? I, I, I'm asking every guest, you know, where has their sex education failed them? What would you have loved to have learned more about? Or like, do you have a story of, of how your sex education was damaging or just, you know, generally unhelpful? Yes. <laughs> 
I do. Um, I grew up, as I said, on the Sunshine Coast, which, you know, was lovely and I had a really fun experience at school, but I also went to a school that was very religious, like almost Mm. this sort of Hillsong Christian type, which um, the sex education is pretty much null and void there. It's like abstinence is key and we actually had to sign an abstinence form in year nine. Uh, Oh, (laughs) my God. Yeah, Yeah, one of the boys wrote on there, every hole is a goal, and we all had to do like a (laughs) handwriting test to try and figure out who did it. But, yeah, that was essentially my experience. So um, no one was – we we almost had a 30-centimetre roll you know, rule in the playground. It was a co-ed school as well, so you can just imagine the pheromones and hormones were going buck wild. Um, but our, I'm pretty sure our sex ed teacher, he was a virgin. Like I remember him oh. saying that and I've had conversations with friends since then. So he'd be like oh. sweating up the front having to like deliver this class and, you know, it was just the classic when the male is erect, like insert the penis. And it was like, oh, okay, you know, now looking back on it, it's just like, is the woman consensual? Is she even wet? <laughs> where where does that come oh. from? But it was very, yeah, it was very basic. Um, and actually I've, I've spoken to so many people who went to other forms of school, you know, even Catholic or public or other forms of private, and we are the only ones who had a, a, like a girl in our year from year 10 until 12, there was someone at school who was pregnant. Like there were two or three girls while I was in high school that were pregnant. Oh, so it just is like, a, yeah. obvious, you know, awesome. Abstinence yeah. isn't key unless Virgin Mary, but things oh. have gone on and it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it was, it was really, um, I was not in that, you know, of that ilk. So I was definitely going sneakily on the pill um, when I was 15, nearly 16, because I had a long-term boyfriend um, and we were yeah. at it like rabbits pretty Getting much. Getting it on. <laughs> <laughs> Getting it on and discovering it for ourselves, but it was a lot of trial and error and, you know, I guess our friendship group was a bit more liberal like that. Um, but, yeah, I grew up at parties like where we'd all go to, you know, in year 11 or 12 and, We'd all be drunk and there'd be some of the kids that who had, you, you know, were from more of a religious upbringing that would, like, cry. They'd be drunk and they'd be crying and they'd be like, oh, my God, I want to, you know, I want to kiss this girl or I want to have sex with this person and I feel so guilty. And it was just this, like, whoa, being in an environment where rather than just having you know, open conversation about the potential that you may get pregnant, but let's do it in a safe, consensual, healthy way rather than let's just completely avoid it Mm. and allow people to go into their late teens, early 20s, completely void of knowledge. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I've never heard of, um, of abstinence forms and, like, that just feels so archaic. That's wild to me like I hear a lot of these stories especially um especially about religious schools but I just yeah wow it still shocks me though like you know because you're pretty young this wasn't that long ago it's I mean it's still going on um but yeah it's just so sad those poor those poor kids yeah I know I know and I I guess you know above and beyond that 
it was just the lack of, and I think most people I speak to even nowadays, like I'm 30, um, and I think maybe, you know, women I know who are in their early 20s have had a slightly more, you know, informative sex education, um, reproductive education, but I didn't know that you couldn't get pregnant every day of the month. Like I just, every time I'd have sex, like, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have gone on the pill so young had I known that, and I, I didn't really get that education from my parents either. They weren't religious, but that was just sort of, you know, ignored. Um, so yeah, I put myself on the pill and luckily when I started getting into naturopathy in my early twenties, you know, I'd still been on the pill for five or six years, which was majorly, you know, the, the time when my period and hormones were establishing themselves, but just cyclical knowledge and not knowing yeah. that until really my mid is, is hard. Yeah, yeah, totally. I yeah. yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same. I did not know that you couldn't get pregnant every day, and I, it was just this constant fear. Um, if I wasn't on the pill or some other kind of contraception back then, it was just like every time you have sex, it was always this sort of thing hanging over the experience like oh my god oh my god I hope I don't you know um what if the condom breaks or yeah it's 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 not a vibe (laughs) I loved your um story about the double condom with your first experience (laughs) I was laughing very hard oh my god totally oh my god so funny I mean it makes a great story now so whatever (laughs) Um, we live in we learn we yeah well tell me about I want to talk about pregnancy like so say we've done all the right things everything's going well we've conceived how how do you support women during pregnancy what are the different foods and herbs that are more important than others are there some that are more important at you know say during the first trimester than in the third trimester like what are some main ones like we don't have to go too specific because I'm just conscious of time but what are some of the main things that you like to recommend and and yeah give women to implement during their pregnancy Totally. Um, so I guess, look, first trimester is always a bit of a uphill struggle because a lot of women have pretty bad nausea. Like there are definitely some who are blessed and lucky and don't feel too crook. But um, a lot of the time I'm generally, and that's why I would also encourage really looking after yourself and spending, you know, three to six months, if not longer, replenishing all your stores so that if in your first mm-hmm. trimester, you know, you're vomiting and you're losing yeah. a lot of hydration and you're not able to actually take your supplements or eat, you know, nutrient-dense food. And that's something mm-hmm. I always say to, you know, clients, two of mine, they're like, oh, no, Vaughn, like I feel worried that I'm not going to be able to eat all the greens and the proteins and stuff. And I'm like, you've just got to get through this time. You know, there's absolutely, um, you know, try and avoid too much, you know, sugary foods and caffeine and stuff, but just, you know, make sure that it's complex carbs with, you know, always combine your carbohydrate because it's obviously um, not going to keep you full for long, but it can also spike your blood sugar. So combining complex carbohydrates with protein and fat, you know, so really beautiful um, nut butters, peanut butter, mm. egg, a boiled egg or something like that, um, you know, baked beans, stuff like that that's like a protein or a fat, avocado on toast with some tomato, whatever you can sort of keep mm. down in those earlier times. Um, 
And generally I would, if you, if they can, um, a multivitamin, like a really good quality practitioner only um, multivitamin that just kind of like covers all bases, especially while you're trying to get through the first trimester. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just generally keeping up things like uh, your folate, um, selenium and CoQ10 and vitamin E, some of those um, really beautiful micronutrients that are quite antioxidant and are supporting, um, you know, placenta development in those early in those early times. Iodine, um, because obviously the thyroid is still developing in a baby in their first trimester, so they're getting it all from the mum. That's really Mm. important. Your um, omegas, again, those healthy fats, um, DHA, that's really important for Bub's brain development in those early early months. Um, And, you know, just definitely, um, you know, hydrating a lot. I think ensuring um, to replenish anything if you're vomiting um, and just keeping it simple, like whatever you can keep down, but to avoid constipation, which often cranks up, you know, coming into the second trimester. So um, lots of fibrous foods. You can obviously do sort of whole grains, overnight oats and chia puddings, um, high fibrous sort of lower sugar fruits like strawberries and pears, You can, you know, grind up nuts and seeds and put it with yogurt, which has probiotics in it, and that can really sort of help um, with, you know, gut health and replenishing that if you have been a bit unwell in the first trimester. Um, Mm. And some beautiful herbs are really, yeah, herbs are magical in um, or for cases of nausea. So things like your typical ginger you've heard of, but other things you can find it in tea form too and sometimes you can get a tincture if you speak to a naturopath but um marshmallow another thing in preconception but also in pregnancy just to support the liver's detoxification of hormones um there's some really beautiful herbs and they include you've got st mary's thistle um globe artichoke dandelion root you can even get dandelion root as a tea um and that can be a really nice true little trick um if you don't want to drink coffee and caffeine it kind of has that bitter taste to it and it also supports liver detoxification so that can be a really yum thing um yeah and then obviously just looking at you know chamomile tea um but then you get into the second trimester and that's when bub's growth um really obviously increases and you want to support you know the continued support of the baby in the womb um and just reducing risks of things that pop up that you normally hear in the second trimester of gestational diabetes. Women and mums are normally doing their test for that around sort of 26 to 28 weeks. Um, So, you know, again, really focusing on keeping blood sugar, you know, spikes to a minimum. Um, So eating, you know, frequent smaller meals throughout the day, making sure that you've got protein and fats combined with any carbs that you're eating, um, yeah, eating plenty of nuts, beautiful nuts, avocados, lean protein and meats, um, things that are rich in collagen and vitamin C are really also important too for as your belly is obviously growing and stretching that helps with elasticity of the skin and reducing things like stretch marks. Um, vitamin D is something that pretty much the whole way through preconception and pregnancy is really important for, um, 
you know, the production of Bub's immune system and has actually been shown in studies to reduce, um, you know, the risk of gestational diabetes and preeclampsia, things like that. Um, mm. and so then ideally I get pregnant in yeah. spring <laughs> and then you can kind of get the yes. maximum amount of sunlight <laughs> while you're pregnant. Yeah, well, yeah, there's been studies on that and women who were pregnant through summer who absorbed more vitamin D, their babies had lower chances of autoimmune um issues wow. afterwards after birth so and cool. even like eczema and yeah mm. fascinating like I fully geek out over that it's, it makes sense doesn't it but it's like oh yeah wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I'm not surprised but it is also just such a tasty little fact I'm stoked about that <laughs> anyway <laughs> carry on um, and then yeah I guess what I another huge thing for mums especially in second trimester, third trimester, you know, they're probably feeling really well again in their body. Um, But sometimes obviously mood and sleeplessness and energy can sort of be zapped, especially as they get bigger and may have other kids and things like that. So always supporting um, that with magnesium, which is really beautiful. It's used by so many cells in the body for you know, energy production, it supports aches and pains in muscles. It's really beautiful, um, nourishing nutrient for mood regulation. So always, yeah, magnesium is like, I think Oscar mm-hmm. Serilac, who wrote the postnatal depletion cure, he um, calls it mumanesium because it's just like you mm-hmm. use it so much. You <laughs> just eat it out and stress it out at all times. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, magnesium vitamins, again, are really important for energy production. Um, And, of course, there's some really beautiful herbs that you can take for supporting your nervous system um, and sort of immune system, adaptogens, carminatives. So looking at um, lemon balm, you've got withania again, chamomile, reishi mushroom is really beautiful um Mm -hmm. and that sort of tips over much like lemon balm and methania into immune support um and then furthermore you've got like passion flower um st john's wort which Mm -hmm. um can sometimes if if women are feeling any feelings of depression it has like studies have shown that it can be effective in comparison to like taking a ssri antidepressant Mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah there's some really beautiful herbs and then I, I guess you really shift into the third trimester so your blood volume is increasing so exponentially at this point because um you know you're growing so much um blood volumes increasing and your iron requirements generally go up and you often see this like iron's normally tested in the first trimester immediately and then sort of as you shift into your third trimester and it can often drop just based on obviously your blood volume increasing. Um, So just eating really beautiful iron-rich foods which generally come from animal sources. So um, meats, slow-cooked meats are really great for getting that out of but if you don't eat meat, you know, eggs, um, eggs, your leafy greens, some of your nuts and things like that are really important. Spirulina can be great to add in a smoothie. Um, but, yeah, just just other niggles, I guess, that pop up to, to finish it off would be, you know, supporting things like reflux and constipation and sleep, which pretty much all pregnant women <laughs> I know are 
<laughs> um, haunted by at some point in their pregnancy. Um, so, yeah, you know, just using slippery elms, great for reflux or chamomile tea. Um, and then the the thing that people, or, like the question I always get asked is about raspberry leaf um, mm-hmm. and when to take it because can it bring on contractions as soon as I have a cup? Um, and it is, you know, it is a uterine tonic, but it actually kind of helps if you have an overly tense you know, uterus for some reason or overly tight pelvic floor, that sort of thing, it can help to relax it slightly. And if you have an undertoned uterus, it can help to sort of tone it and it it can really help support um, your uterus to be in a good state for a healthy labour um, and a smoother labour. So I always recommend, yeah, making a herbal infusion or a tea of raspberry leaf um, and you can add a bit of nettle, which is full of really beautiful nutrients and minerals and drink that like three cups a day from about 28 weeks. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. That ties in really nicely with my next question, which was, you know, about all of the foods and herbs that you get told to avoid. Like I feel like on every packet of anything herbal, every essential oil, every, you know, there's always like, you know, a, a sort of contraindication, like do not take if you're pregnant or whatever. And I'm just wondering like, mm. you know, about about the foods and herbs that are commonly um, known as being something that you should avoid when you're pregnant and like, and how how careful do you really need to be? Like, you know, Google doctor just like scares the shit out of me and it, it seems like just nothing would be safe to eat or consume or no essential oil would be safe to put on your body. But like, yeah, what are some of the common ones that um, that you kind of get asked about and like how, how careful do we really need to be when it comes to this stuff? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I guess the premise for avoiding things in pregnancy is because people aren't going to do studies on pregnant people. Like it's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty taboo to be testing things on women who have a baby in their belly. And so that's where a lot of, you know, avoidance does come from. Um, And there are absolutely some, yeah, yeah. Like in my natural training and things like that, like they're not going to be testing things on a pregnant woman because it could, it could cause them to, you know, spontaneously go into labor if they're not at term. And that's just too big of a risk to the baby. And it could also, you know, there's so many unknowns, but um, that's generally why on all things, it's just like, just avoid during pregnancy. Totally. Um, That makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, likewise with food, um, there's some which, for example, seafood. Um, Seafood is pretty much said as like a big no-no, especially raw seafood, um, you know, raw meats and stuff like that. And it generally, like if you spoke to people who live in Japan, they would scoff at us, you know, or if we told them not to eat sashimi, they'd laugh in your face because it's just such a staple of their diet and it's sort of as so healthy because it's rich in iodine and, you know, omegas and Mm. DHA and all those sort of things. Um, And, you know, I'm actually all for consumption of sashimi during pregnancy if it is from, you know, an incredible source and it's fresh, you know, you, yeah. I always say to my mom, you know, you be the judge, but most seafood poisoning generally comes from like mollusks, like oysters and clams and things like that. Um, but, you know, I think in terms of 
pre-made salads and sushi and stuff like that. The general premise kind of comes from the Western health and safety concern, which is absolutely so valid and like definitely do not eat something that's just been sitting there in a bay-marie or whatever for days because Mm -hmm. it can obviously grow bacteria and things like that on it that can cause you to be unwell and that could, you know, compromise the health of your baby. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's stuff that people, you know, have sort of said don't touch liver, don't touch raw fish and things like that. But um, studies are actually showing that, you know, sourced from a really beautiful organic environment for some of these certain things, um, you know, they're incredibly nutrient-dense and traditionally before, you know, the more modern risk aversion, um, it's been eaten forever by so many cultures around the world. And I think it's just, yeah, important to choose sustainable, ethically farmed and, like, really fresh food that you know where the source is from. Um, Mm. Coffee's another one coffee people always ask about um and look there are if you look at this if you do look into some studies there are incrementally increased risks of um low birth weight or miscarriage if you consume over a certain amount and it's it's small percentages but it does incrementally increase as you consume more and more caffeine um but you know I think be intuitive a lot of women I know hate coffee during pregnancy because they felt so unwell in early times and they just end up having a whole aversion for it but you know be intuitive and I think how's your nervous system going do you feel like a coffee could you maybe swap it up for a green tea or a matcha or you know are you just craving the taste um keep it to if you need to drink a coffee you know a small shot um of a day or on the weekend or whatever but yeah I definitely think it's about intuitive eating and just obviously avoiding things like um your softer cheeses and stuff like that that hasn't obviously been heated um to a point um but yeah just think about where you're getting your food from um, yeah it's really cool. important and yeah similarly I guess there are definitely I'm not a huge I don't have a lot of knowledge on essential oils um but there's definitely ones I think to sort of avoid burning. Go for the safe, basic ones that a lot of people would be burning when they have a baby. You know, like there's chamomile oil, lavender oil, um, a little bit of peppermint, and things like that. There's definitely there's lists online of like what to and what not yeah. to avoid. But similarly, again with herbs, there's stuff that are there's ones that are uterine stimulants. Um, like well-known ones are black cohosh and barberry and stuff like that. But Again, I think always if you're going to use something therapeutically, just speak to a health practitioner and they're the ones that will be able to guide you to choose the right ones. Yeah, yeah, great advice. Fabulous. Well, before we get stuck into postpartum, which I want to cover before we wrap up, are you ready for TMI? We love it. Um, TMI, TMI. Oh, I can, I can combine it with one that was, it actually rolls in really well with like the lack of sex education we had. Um, but it was quite hilarious. It's more like my own, um, embarrassment through the situations, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I was young. We were horny. My boyfriend and I were just like, jumping on the what's that saying jumping on the good foot and doing the bad thing quite often um and 
his dad, I got in trouble. My dad found that I was like, I'd started taking the pill. I'd gone secretly and gotten it and dad like found out and hit the roof. So we'd always go over to my boyfriend's house. Um, and one day he had like a small single bed and I'd always sleep in the guest room, but you know, things happen. And one day I was like, what is behind your bed? Like is all this clothing and his dad had like put big chunks of foam on either side of the bed, like to, <laughs> so as oh. to not damage the walls. Oh my um, God. So that, <laughs> that was like them, yeah, being the only people around us that were supportive of it. Um, oh, bless. I know, I know. I was so embarrassed. Like it was just this unraveling of unfortunate events and just like we wouldn't hear them come home and like they'd open the door and we'd be half naked and stuff like that like it was quite hilarious but just growing up story you know yeah totally (laughs) Um, yeah yeah I guess oh I've got another TMI story it's like it is really TMI but I've um I think it's TMI it's my own house but I um I haven't had a lot of health issues for a long, like I feel like I've been quite well for a long time and I think a lot of people think naturopaths just don't get sick and things don't happen to them. You know, they're always this like glowing goddess. <laughs> but I've recently, <laughs> I've recently had, this is just to like tell people that everyone obviously has health concerns, but I've recently had some ongoing just gut issues, which is, you know, related to family history. So I recently had... um a colonoscopy, which was a whole experience in itself. Um, just the prep for it was like really horrendous, and you end up like oh, having man. severe diarrhea, oh, you know, overnight while you prep for it. Um, so that was all good. But then I, this is like just before Christmas, and I had my colonoscopy, all was well. They removed a polyp, great. Um, and then I was, I came down with like what. I thought was a UTI because I've actually never had one. I had one when I was 17, like a really mild one. But the week before Christmas, like this year just gone, I had to drive to Sydney and I was like going up the highway and just had the work. I I'd, I'd started to take a few herbs and things like that um, and some Ural and cranberry juice and things and it just wasn't cutting it. And my kidneys by the end of the trip, which like, you know, was a 10 hour drive, my kidneys were like oh. pulsating. Oh my God. And I, yeah, I, it like becomes such a bad UTI that my kidneys had become infected. And so like I arrived to like all my family there, like my brother's partner's 90 year old grandma. And I was just like holding my like stomach bending oh. over and I had to tell it like, it's not embarrassing to have a UTI at all, but I was just like, oh, God. I'd spoken to my mom and she was like, oh, you've been having too much sex. Like, well, well you know, the classic, that's why you get UTIs. Oh, um, God. But, yeah, it was just like the unraveling of my whole lower body health. And I went to a doctor the next morning who, like, sent me for a CT scan and all this stuff. And he was like, oh, I think it's probably because you just, like, were shooting so much and you probably just, like, wiped the wrong way and then you got a really bad UTI and I was like awesome (laughs) thank you I just yeah (laughs) felt pretty felt pretty low pretty sore but yeah it's fine now it cleared up (laughs) 
As if having so, to get a colonoscopy yeah. and shitting diarrhea all night wasn't bad enough and then you get a horrific no. UTI and kidney infection from it. That's a mad bummer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it's all good. I can, yeah. no, now I feel really confident. Sometimes there's things as a naturopath that I'm like, oh, I don't feel like I'm all over that or I haven't experienced it so I don't quite know. Whereas mm. now I'm like, oh, come at me, anyone who needs any form of, you know, rectal examination or has really bad totally. urinary infection. Yeah, I'm a girl. <laughs> yeah, totally. I feel like that's so like so much of what makes me a relatable and good practitioner is that I've pretty much experienced all of the shit that my clients come to me for. So, you know, I get it yeah. and I've been there and... Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. Thank you, thank you. That was a double TMI. That was fucking what a bonus. (laughs) (laughs) Got a breakdown. (laughs) So before we wrap up, let's chat about postpartum. You know, like herbal support, uh, repletion, (laughs) replenishment um, of nutrients, and like how to support how to support new mums. Um, cause that's also kind of what you're doing and probably one of the reasons you started Mama G as well. So yeah, tell us about that. It is absolutely. And I guess the postpartum is the time where I see so many women, you know, and partners too, but a lot of the time mothers just struggling because through pregnancy and preconception, like you have all the focuses on yourself, especially if you're a first time mum, but you know, you have the time and the headspace and, you know, energy to really focus on your health and put all of that into action. But when you obviously you've gone through labor and birth, which can often be quite intense and whatever way that does go, whether it's, you know, a vaginal birth or a cesarean um, birth, you can lose a lot of blood through that, as we sort of spoke about earlier, you know, simply just giving birth and growing a whole other human and then breastfeeding depletes you of so much. So, yeah, the postpartum just for me is a huge time that I'm so passionate about and I guess why we started, Mama Goodness, because typically, you know, when you're sleep deprived, you're just eating toast. You're not even finishing <laughs> your cup of tea. And, yeah, it's a time when people just forget to look after themselves and they're focusing so much on their baby and just trying to catch a little bit of sleep if they can. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it it doesn't have to be that way. Um, But it really does just take, you know, a, a bit of knowledge and preparation but a lot of support from partners and community and, you know, setting up simple things like, a meal train where your friends can mm. and family can cook for you and you know it's homemade but it's nutrient dense and that's what we do at Mama Goodness. I've you know I'm a naturopath and Jess has written cookbooks and she's a mum so we've kind of combined and we're both doulas so we've combined all of that to create like really nutrient dense food that people can just have delivered to them and yeah through it all they don't have to think about cooking but if they do want to obviously cook or they want to ask someone else to cook for them um there's some really you know important nutrients to look for so again you're looking at iron and b12 to replenish you know blood loss that naturally happens during birth and breastfeeding um again like collagen and vitamin c which are really going to help with um not so much the stretching, I guess, but now the repairing of tissue and ligaments and tendons and all of those things um, because, 
you know, sometimes people simply just have a little bit of a, a graze, a vaginal graze, but other times people mm. do have, you know, major abdominal surgery when they're having a cesarean. So the healing time for that can be, you know, if not weeks, months, potentially up to a year. So um, just, you know, ensuring you get the right care. And I always say that to people, you know, a lot of people get ticked off at six weeks by their GP, which is just not okay for a lot of people. A lot of the time that's when they really start to feel physical discomforts and, you know, their meal train does stop and their partner goes back to work and things. And that's a time when people experience like incontinence and prolonged mood shifts and feelings of, you know, anxiety or flatness. Mm. And I think, you know, just making sure that you check in with a health professional that you really trust, um, but also, yeah, fueling yourself with the nutrients that you need to support, you know, all your neurotransmitters and your mood and your energy and healing. Um, so, mm. yeah, bringing back in um, magnesium and your B vitamins is so great for energy and um you know if you're having problems with sleep or um obviously keeping awake a lot of the time in the postpartum <laughs> those sort of things can really help to be replenished um your fat soluble vitamins which because your breast if you if you choose to breastfeed um it's full of a lot of fat which they obviously take from you um so you know fat soluble vitamins like vitamin a and e and your omegas and DHA and choline, they're really important. Um, and just, yeah, fat-rich foods, so lots of yummy and mm. beautiful oily fishes and avocados and nuts and seeds, ghee, butters, um, things like that, um, really well-cooked starches and veggies. And, you know, traditionally a lot of cultures that focus on that confinement time of the postpartum, which so many do all through Asia and South America it's you know six weeks or sort of the the 40 days the first 40 days they call it of sitting in and in that time the mum really only eats warming foods that support their digestion um they're cooked or you know they contain salt and spices and broths and things like that that are easy on mum's digestion but that really replenish her mm, um beautiful and yeah yeah, just yeah. beautiful things that really help to restore a mum's health. And, you know, vitamin D, <clears throat> you can take that, you know, as a supplement if you are a bit deplete, but there is nothing like, for especially for a new mum and, you know, when there's been long nights and baby might be unsettled and you're just feeling like cabin fever and cooped up inside, just getting outside and letting some sun fall on your skin and getting vitamin mm. D and just, Getting some fresh air, fresh air, or um, I heard this. This is a tip from a doula I met years ago, but it was like if your baby's cracked it or if you've cracked it, just like introduce fresh air or water. Like take a bath for either of you, or step outside and get some fresh air, and it can just like make mm. the world of difference. So beautiful, yeah. yeah. And I actually mm. didn't know. I hadn't heard of the um the concept of a, a meal train until, I don't know, it was a few years ago I was reading a book I think about motherhood, but I just adore that as, you know, a practice and I think it should be more common. Um, yeah, just really quickly, like what is a meal train for those that don't know? Yeah, what is a meal train? I love it too. It's just, it's 
such a great way, before I explain what it is, it's a really great way to start asking for help because Mm. a lot of people struggle in general as humans, you know, especially in our culture, like in the Western world, we've kind of got to a point. And I think, you know, I don't know if it's COVID or it's just a collective like unification and realisation now, but we're edging back towards community or maybe that's just me and being a doula and, you know, the rest of the world doesn't live that way. But community is so important for, you know, raising a family and as soon as you like decide to, you know, go on that preconception journey and fall pregnant and have a baby, I just think like learning to ask for help in that time before you bring your baby home is so important Um, because, you know, people want to help and Mm. people don't want to just buy a baby another, you know, jumpsuit or a blanket and the way that can be really well received and done is through a meal train, which is um, asking friends or family or people in your community that you know um, to drop a meal over. And there's really great websites that um, you can go. I think there's literally like, oh, what is it? Bring me a meal. And there is literally, I think, mealtrain.com. Just Google it. Mm. Um, but you can set up, yeah, you can set up pretty much from before your due date or on your due date or a week afterwards or whatever. And you can invite friends, whoever you choose you want to. Like, and a lot of the time, you know, people choose people that live close so that they know cook good meals. Um, mm-hmm. Or you can even, you know, preface. I Like some dual clients are like, oh, we'd be pretty happy to receive Uber Eats a couple of nights or even get a grocery drop. And it's just mm-hmm. a really beautiful way to show care and love to a new family and also to receive care and love as a you know new parent and to just not have to think about how you're going to feed yourself and the time and effort that is um yeah yeah. and so you can alternate you know you can deliver it once or you can deliver it once a week you get to set it up how you want but it's just a really beautiful way to build community and feel really held and heard and loved Mm. yeah through the postpartum yeah, so epic. There's just nothing more beautiful and like caring than making a meal for someone. And I loved that whole idea of having a bit of a roster and having a few friends and family members that all kind of like, yeah, took a different day each and then sort of just kept you afloat and did did little food drops. And, you know, obviously another really great thing to do would just just either get friends and family to do it or even yourself like and your partner before giving birth, like making just a fuck ton of food that yeah. you can freeze and getting a big yeah. old deep chest freezer and just freezing heaps of ready-made meals so that you're not left high and dry. Yeah. I mean, when you can access Uber Eats, it's different. Back in Melbourne, there's so many, you know, you could just get Mama G delivered to your door or get Uber Eats. But where I live now, I have to plan every single meal I have. I have to do like yeah. one big shopping trip a week when I go into town and like really make sure I've got everything I need because yeah, if I'm just kind of left high and dry and I don't have any food in the pantry or enough ingredients to make a nutritious meal, like I'm screwed. You know, yeah, I can't just pop down to the shops. Trip. Absolutely. <laughs> totally, totally. And that, you know, I guess that's where too sometimes it's not even location for people. It's actually proximity to their loved ones or their support system. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have been a doula so many times for people whose family don't even live in Australia and through COVID and lockdowns, I was the only person they were seeing. Like I 
there were so many great areas with even if I could travel, but I was like, fuck it. I'm going to like write myself a travel permit. Like I have it, you know, Mm. I owned that because I was like, they need to be cared for, but there are people even out of lockdown that just don't have a huge community. So definitely, like you said, cooking, cooking before pregnancy and just making sure you're fully set is such a great way to just lighten the load when you're a new parent. Yeah, big time. Yeah. Oh, heaps, heaps, heaps of stuff, oh, big stuff. We've covered much. a lot. <laughs> um, oh, I know. Great questions. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so before I let you go, I've got one or two more questions, um, if that's okay. Yeah. I just wanted Definitely. to, I want to know if there is like, you know, maybe like let's go with three things that you always recommend women just make sure they are on top of, um, whether it be nutritionally or herbally or lifestyle, um, when they're going to be a mom or once they've become a mom, just like some some big heavy hitters that are like pretty universal and helpful. Um, you know, like if you weren't going to do anything else differently in your life, but you could choose like three things to like do or eat or take, could you pick three or is that just a stupid question? <laughs> mm, look, there's, <laughs> it's bursting at the seams, but there's a couple that I would like absolutely, like what we just spoke about in terms of yeah, starting to create your village, I think is really important. And that can reach out as well. Like I don't just mean family and friends. I think starting to look at who your care providers are going to be, really choosing people, you know, whether or not it's a naturopath or a shared GP that's going to look after you, um, choosing somewhere local or even online now because there's so many good options, doing a really good um, like birth education class I think is really vital and important. Mm-hmm. I think just for really giving you the skills and knowledge because people live in all different areas. They have all different accesses to um you know, different care providers and, and hospital settings or home birth settings, whatever they're choosing to do. Um, and it doesn't always have to be paid for. Like there are some really amazing resources online. Like I think it's Core Floor Restore. She's amazing. She has like free online education classes. But I just think going into pregnancy and birth and motherhood by having done a class with your partner if you have one is just so important, just so that you step into that space and have some of your own you know, knowledge and empowerment and confidence, I think is really Mm. important. Um, And another one I would say would be, I just love food, obviously, and nutrition as a, you know, ground base for everything. So just getting back to basics with your food, I think shifting towards nutrient dense, locally sourced, you know, not necessarily always organic, but just good quality food, like I guess our grandparents would have eaten, you know, like yeah. more beautifully, the more beautifully it's grown, the more nutrients it will contain. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't know or they may know but don't remind themselves of is like our farming practices here in Australia are pretty poor. You know, our soil has been tilled and used within an mm. inch of its life and a lot of the nutrients just aren't there. So I think if you can, you know, sourcing food um, from a really good place, if you can, um, 
for long-term health. It will really include lots of vitamins and minerals and just shifting away from processed foods and high sugar and refined things. And like, of course, enjoy treats. I'm all about living, you know, but mm-hmm. just be being a bit conscious about what you put into your body um, because it will make all the shifts that you want to make and choose through preconception and pregnancy and motherhood so much easier. And it will also make like your food choices and cooking and just prep like that. It's not going to seem like an absolute mountain to, to sort of mm. climb. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, Great. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. There's a fair few in there. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. just um, herbal, herbal teas and infusions, like mm. just as general state making yeah some really beautiful teas or infusions are ones where you kind of add more herbs and pour your boiling water over it and steep it overnight so that it's a strong sort of brew um but that can be really beautiful for just general general well-being and hydration yeah love that I always feel so fucking healthy when I'm whipping up a herbal tea blend (laughs) like I don't even enjoy drinking them that much, to be honest. I feel like they look delicious, they smell delicious, and they taste like just leaves in water to me. But um, I feel (laughs) great about the fact that I am putting it in my body. (laughs) Um, And it's it's something that can be so therapeutic. Like with their properties, some of them can be really supportive for your nervous system, but it's also like a ritual, I think, as well, that you can like take five or ten minutes out of your day whatever time of life you're in, whether you're a parent or not or whatever. But, yeah, just giving yourself some time for your nervous system to decompress I think is really important in this day and age. Yeah, big time. I totally second that. And I think, like, this is totally head science and I'm making it up kind of, but I feel like when I look up the, like, therapeutic um, or medicinal benefits of a herb or a particular a few ingredients in a herbal tea and then I read about why they're so good for you and what they do, and then I drink it, it's probably like even better for me because, you know, you're kind of like getting that that placebo-y, like placebo-esque. Sorry. It's not placebo because it totally does work. But, um, yeah, I feel like the way you feel about what you put in your body and whether you think it's going to be yeah. bad for you or really great for you actually does affect – I think there's some studies yeah. on that. It does affect how you um, uptake those totally. nutrients and, like, benefits. So, yeah. It's energetic. <laughs> completely yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah beautiful well my last question for you my love is is there anything that you see cropping up really commonly with your clients that you know they kind of tend to express to you that they feel like you know maybe there's something wrong with them because of or like they're broken or abnormal or it's just not like they feel kind of alone as though they're the only ones that are experiencing this um that you would like to just say like hey by the way ladies like heaps of people come to me and have this issue or say this experience like this thing about their experience and like think that there's something wrong with them but I want to go on record saying that it's totally normal or at least it's common. Um, yeah, is there anything like that 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 you see a fair bit? Yeah, there is. I think it's probably some t- one thing that's been cropping up for me lately, I guess this is sticking or coming to mind because it's something that has cropped up a lot for me, is the stress of getting pregnant. Um, I've seen it with a lot of my preconception clients and like what feels like forever for them. Um, 
and just the process and the strain that can sometimes put on, you know, their mental health and their relationships and things like that. And, you know, it is something that can sometimes take a little bit of time, but I think just being gentle with yourself and gentle with the process of, you know, your by coming to see someone and by like opening up and confiding in someone you trust to be your health practitioner um, who can help you and guide you with that, you're already like 10 steps ahead. You know, you've, you've opened up your heart and your health to fixing it and working on it and wanting to make change and shifts in your lifestyle and things like that. So I think knowing that and having conversations with some of the women I work with has alleviated a bit of that stress. Um, and sometimes like a common thing that's also been happening is people do everything like they build or buy a home or do so many things when they're trying to make a baby. (laughs) It's just like this weird phenomenon that I've like noticed. And as soon as one thing falls into place, generally the next does. And I've I swear to God have seen like four or five of my mums in the past who are now pregnant in the past like three or four months have been doing something major and as soon as that happens it's like their whole nervous system just relaxes and allows you know for their body to take everything and you know it's it's so easy to say and I'm not by any means saying like you just need to relax like that's not a positive thing to say to someone who is obviously trying to get pregnant but I think just having patience and trust in your body and just knowing that you are putting all of your energy and effort into it and having yeah trust in the process can help at least to alongside you know beautiful herbs and the nutrients and things that can support your nervous system but it can help and this is also relatable to the postpartum I think sometimes that act of surrendering and being in the like here and the now and not you know stressing about a lack of sleep tonight or what, you know, can sometimes be anxiety inducing as a mother through pregnancy Mm. and through the postpartum, I think just, yeah, knowing that you are really doing your best and there is always support around you. Yeah. 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 Amazing. I feel like surrender Mm. is such a huge, by the sounds of it from everyone I've spoken to, it's such a huge part of the motherhood journey and and it all just starts getting that little bit easier once you just finally surrender. Um, I feel like, you know, I have never been pregnant, but I feel like that in my life when I just finally shut the fuck up and surrender, things are easier as well. So it's pretty universal, I'd say. Great advice. (laughs) Um, so thank you so much for all of your amazing knowledge and your funny little stories and, you know, your vulnerable shares. I've had a beautiful time chatting with you and yeah, I just think you have so much knowledge and so much passion for this area that I also nerd out on, even though I didn't sort of take it as my, um, career path in the end, I still just so love learning and talking about this stuff. Um, and I think it's really complimentary with what I do with women. So yeah, I've been I've been like a pig in shit. Um, so thank you for coming coming and chatting with me in the Labia Lounge today. Oh, my pleasure. And I think that's how we kind of found one another. We still haven't met in person and our lives didn't overcross here in Melbourne. But, you know, I think all of these beautiful modalities and, yeah, just a shared passion for it brings us all together. Yeah. So thanks for thanks for creating this fun podcast. I love listening to it all. 
<laughs> my pleasure. All right, my dear, mm. I will speak to you soon. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Lots Bye. of love. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT, and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.